Hello, Caitlin. Hello. <laughs> and welcome to Camping is Cancelled. Woo. I'm glad that you're here. Me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I could not do anything. Well, you could talk still. Yeah, I could talk. But that wouldn't be nearly as fun. Mm-mm. And speaking of fun, today we have a three-parter conclusion that we're bringing to you guys. The finale of our soapy tale of Leonardo Cenciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. So if you guys have not listened to parts one and two, go back and do that before you listen to this one. And otherwise, we are going to jump right into this episode. Splish splash. Oh, God. <laughs> when we last left off, Leonardo had just brutally murdered 40-year-old spinster Faustina Setti with an axe after luring her to the soap shop with the promise of helping her travel to start a whole new life with a wealthy fiancé waiting for her in the country of Pola. She'd thought that rendering Faustina's remains in the caustic soda that she used on animal fat for making soap would work the same for turning the poor younger woman into a soap that would complete a powerful spell of protection that she needed for her precious favorite son Giuseppe, who was on the verge of heading off to war. But the rendering process did not go as planned, and instead of producing creamy white soap, Faustina's remains had turned into a vile and putrid brown mess in the soda, and Leonardo was unable to use any of it. She was devastated, not by the loss of her friend, but by her failure to complete the spell and protect her son. And as the weeks ticked by, Leonardo knew that she was running out of time to protect Giuseppe with powerful magic before he left for the front lines. Lights out, campers. Oh man, the mountains call my number In August of 1940, three months before Giuseppe would be leaving, Leonardo knew she had to begin the process of selecting her next victim. She would be even more careful this time. The letters and postcards she'd had Faustina write to her friends and family that she had left Correggio and was very happy with her new husband and Pola had seemed to do the trick for now. And no one suspected that Leonardo's cozy little shop bustling with townsfolk looking for fragrant soaps and palm readings had been the scene of a horrific axe murder just days before, and Faustina Setti was most definitely not happily married in another country. It wasn't long before Leonardo had her sights set on her next victim, determined that this time nothing would stop her from completing the protection ritual. Francesca Suavi was a widow who had been a beloved school teacher in Correggio for many years and had retired early to care for her late husband after he'd suffered a terrible stroke. She had no children and was loved by the people who knew her in town, but her husband's illness had exhausted their finances, and after his death she found herself desperate for work with no idea how to go about finding it. Because, like we've touched on before, working women did not really fit in with society's expectations of them. And if a spinster or a widow 
of a certain age was the one working for a paycheck like the man was supposed to, they were looked at a little sideways. But Leonardo was known to be ahead of her time in these matters. She was a smart and savvy businesswoman herself with lots of connections, and just the kind of person who might be able to help find employment for a struggling widow. Fortunately for Leonardo, her soap shop was a hot spot for gossip, so she pretty quickly overheard about Francesca's desperate situation and saw a prime opportunity to bait the hook. Leonardo reached out to Francesca and told her that through her high society customer connections, she'd heard that an elite girls' school in Switzerland was needing to hire a school teacher. But the normal public wouldn't have heard about it because this was such an exclusive school, they had conducted interviews by invitation only. And wouldn't you know it, Leonardo had been corresponding with school officials and had secured Francesca a private interview in Switzerland. Man, she really knows everybody. She's got, like, her Blackberries full of contacts. <laughs> her Blackberries. <laughs> Wait, what's the one thing from the, the her first... Oh, my gosh, the Philofax. The Philofax. Her Philofax is fat, P-H-A-T. She's the cool kid on the block. Ugh. Get this. All she would need to do is write a few letters and postcards explaining to her family and friends that she was pursuing a teaching job in Switzerland. Mm, how convenient. Ooh, which Leonardo would send after she was well on her way to avoid any chance of someone trying to make her change her mind. Mm. <laughs> and if anything, this interview was really just a formality. She should fully expect to be staying. Francesca nearly wept with relief and gratitude at the lengths that Leonardo had gone to help her. And this was certainly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That it was. Yeah. On September 5th, 1940, Francesca arrived in the wee hours of the morning to the soap shop with her trunk packed to the brim, nervous and excited to start her journey. Leonardo waved her in with a smile, had her sit down for just a moment, and pressed a generous glass of wine for her nerves into her hands. It was just moments after noticing the bottom of the glass seemed more gritty than it should be with ground-up herbs and bitter sediment when her head lurched and her brain was choked with a dense fog. Francesca tried unsuccessfully to shake her head clear and wondered if she was suffering a stroke like the one that had taken her husband. She could hear a familiar old lullaby being softly sung, as though it was suspended underwater, and she could barely make out that a pair of hands were smoothing over her chest and arms and sliding beneath her coat to grasp her pocketbook. I have chills right now reading this because I'm so creeped out, and I wrote this Whoa. earlier. I am so creeped out. Ooh, this is giving me like creepy little children vibes. Yes. To be frozen and unable to move, but also aware of what is happening. So first time around, she's doing, she's speaking foreign languages. Yeah, she was like singing. muttering at her. And now she's singing her a lullaby and yeah. feeling her up for <laughs> looking for money. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to slide right in here. I just, yeah, don't I worry just about it. Francesca's limbs were far too heavy to lift as she watched Leonardo open her wallet right in front of her and empty its meager contents. It was the only money she had left to make the journey to Switzerland. Leonardo, you petty bitch. 
yeah that line we talked about <laughs> she <laughs> sprinted past that line yeah what a bitch the line is but again you a give a full memory. bottle of wine to someone let it kick in yeah let their head hit the table please yeah I'm not let saying them be what unconscious right. like, but, but, no like, let them be totally out of it first like, maybe we should write the guidebook to like murderers <laughs> Let them know some The guidebook how to properly drug your friends that you plan to axe murder. Gosh. After the disastrous episode that had been Faustina Setti's murder, Leonardo knew she could not make the same mistake she had before. Once she lifted the blade of the axe, she could not look away. She stood before the immobilized Francesca, gripped the smooth wooden handle, and swung. The axe bit deep into the side of Francesca's fucking head. Oh my gosh. Killing her almost instantly. Determined not to waste any of the precious blood she had lost last time, Leonardo had a supply of metal basins ready and waiting to catch every ounce that poured from Francesca's fatal wound. My god. That poor lady. At least it was one and done. God. Yeah, she didn't take half her fucking face yeah it took her a minute the first time again if you're gonna kill somebody yeah follow through don't drag it out or just don't kill someone (laughs) yeah maybe that's what we should be saying yeah (laughs) just just quit while you're ahead and don't kill someone while leonardo had always despised the gore and blood that accompanied butchering meat She knew that draining her victim of her blood for the spell would be most effective if they were in parts. She recalled the time she'd observed butchers in the market preparing cuts of meat and tried to mimic their process as she set about separating Francesca's limbs and head from her torso and placing them in individual basins to drain. As soon as she had made the first deep cut... She was struck by the thick layer of rich yellow fat beneath Francesca's skin. There hadn't been an ounce of fat on Faustina, and maybe that explained why when she tried to render Faustina's remains in the caustic soda, it had turned into a putrid, unusable mess. Apparently, it had nothing to do with her victim's age at all, and everything to do with chemistry. She should have just gotten into the business of liposuction. Mm, yes. She could have made money. She could have had everyone's fat. She could have my fat. Isn't that what they're doing in Fight Club? They're using human fat from the liposuction place mm-hmm. to make soap. Ugh. That's a really good movie. I should watch that, that again sometime. Um, Man, I love watching men punch each other. This time, everything went beautifully. The tins of blood for drying out in the oven and baking into tea cakes were filled to the brim. The pots on Leonardo's stove full of fat and caustic soda were bubbling smoothly. And there was barely any mess to clean up. Good for her. Oh yeah, good. She's figuring out her process. She was certain that this time she would complete the protection spell successfully. She felt proud of herself for remaining calm and controlled and not making a mess of things like she had last time. Which was unfortunate but couldn't be helped. This time, her victim's death would not be in vain. When she bit into the finished tea cakes... Oh, I can't. That's so disgusting to me. It is so gross. Ugh. Knowing that you're biting into something that has human blood in it. Somebody that you 
talk to. It's somebody you know. Yeah. I don't, ugh. I don't know. The electric metallic taste of fresh blood filled her with excitement. Ew. Surely this meant strong and powerful protection for her Giuseppe. If Giuseppe would bring himself to eat him, he'd probably bite him and be like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Just eat it, my son. Eager to finish turning the rich white fat she had taken from Francesca into soap, Leonardo lifted the lid on one of her pots to check its progress. But once again, what had started out looking just right had completely spoiled into a brown, putrid, and unusable mess. Her high spirits came crashing down and a blind fury took hold of her. It was like the curse knew she was warring against it and it was determined to sabotage her just when she thought all was well. Blind with fury, Leonardo grabbed the handles of the nearest boiling pot to fling it against the wall, but the fiery hot metal seared her palms instantly and she leapt back in pain. Both her palms were blistering in an angry red line that had perfectly severed the groove in her skin that palm readers know as the lifeline into two distinct halves. The symbolism of this burn wasn't lost on her. Any shred of the person Leonardo was before she'd swung that axe was gone forever. When Giuseppe came home later, Leonardo had him dump the contents of her spoiled soap batch into their septic pit. This wasn't anything unusual. He did this all the time for her, but he was a bit concerned at the sight of her heavily bandaged hands. She carried out this process for years and years and would never even consider touching the handle of a boiling pot with bare hands. So either her age was starting to show and he honestly hoped that was the case because the alternative was that she'd done it on purpose in an effort to make him feel guilty for leaving her and prove that she needed him to stay and take care of her. I mean. I could definitely see a manipulative mother oh, doing yeah. that. And we know that she fully is from everything we've learned at this point. To be like, oh, poor me. Please stay, my Giuseppe. Oh, gosh. She said it was just a moment of absent-mindedness that caused her injury. But there was something about the way she said it that didn't quite sit right in his mind. He'd have to keep a closer eye on what she was up to because either way, her mental state was clearly beginning to struggle and the only thing he could connect it to was the shock of his announcement and his fast approaching date for shipping out. You just now noticed your mom's a little... A little... Unhinged? Out there, yeah. Nice time to notice, I guess. Better late than never. Now that World War II was in full swing and the propaganda for Italy's invincibility was stronger than ever, Giuseppe, like so many other young men, got swept up in promises of easy and glorious victories and being labeled as a hero of war. And he began making plans to leave and join his regiment even earlier than he was scheduled to, which of course he did not tell his mother. But like everything else he did, his plans eventually trickled back through the grapevine to her ears and filled her with renewed urgency. She pored over the books in her study and the letters she'd saved from her conversations with occult experts. She knew she was going to have to try again to complete the protection ritual, but she also wasn't stupid. She couldn't keep having women come into her shop who didn't come back out before someone in Correggio eventually became suspicious. So she had to get it right this time. 
she determined that her previous two failures must not have been a failure of chemistry after all, but actually her relationship to the delicate magical process. When she'd approached her victims with the axe, she'd been entirely too focused on the physical performance of swinging the blade, rather than keeping her mind fixed on her magical intent to bend the universe to her will and transfer the life force of her victim into a covering of protection for her precious Giuseppe. For her third and final victim, Leonardo decided it was time to go big or go home. I wish she had just gone home. Yep. Gone through the door next door to her house. <laughs> home. Out of the shop. Yep. Get gone. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that Virginia Cachopo was a local celebrity in Carigio. Not only was she a member of wealth high society, wealthy high society, she was incredibly well-educated and a former opera singer who had performed in famous opera houses all over Italy and was known on site by locals and adored for her warmth and kindness towards everyone she met. Most notably, she was so well-respected even among the men in town that they valued her conversation and opinion just as much as another man's. Good for her, though. Yeah. And Leonardo was pretty jealous of the high-class status that Virginia had achieved, which had always been just outside of her own grasp. Despite this, the two women had struck up a friendship and enjoyed discussing their creative interests like Leonardo's soaps and poetry and Virginia's singing, and they especially enjoyed gossiping over a bottle of fine wine. Hmm. Stay yes. away from the wine. <laughs> no. I guess if Leonardo immediately drinks, oh no, she's probably done something to build up a tolerance to whatever poison. Gosh. She'd be like, look, I'm drinking it too. Virginia also began consulting Leonardo on spiritual matters, something which she longed for help and direction and as she made life decisions. And she enjoyed being relied on and trusted by someone who was such a celebrity in their small town. I didn't put it in the script, but my understanding of how Virginia actually ended up in Carigio was that something wasn't going great in her career. Like she was a really like well-accomplished opera singer but mm -hmm. for whatever reason she was struggling to find work and so she landed in Carigio because her brother was living there so she was actually living with her brother and sister-in-law and was very close with both of them and people were like oh this famous opera singer mm -hmm. is in our town and we're excited to have her and she's amazing and so that's kind of and how Lita, she ended Leonardo's up there like, oh! Leonardo. Bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry, yes. And she also latched onto her as a friend mm -hmm. because I think she saw things in her that she wanted for yeah. herself. And so, yes, they had things in common, but she was also like, oh, I'm impressed by all that she's achieved and the respect that she has. I'm going to hitch my star to her wagon. Mm -hmm. I think that's the phrase. And kind of align myself with her so that people will kind of see me like they see her and she did have us like a standing in town mm -hmm. but she wasn't seen as like a member of high class yeah. it was just oh everybody knows who the soap maker is mm -hmm. and we go to her for stuff but right. she wasn't seen as like an elite member of society and she'd always wanted to so 
Makes sense. It makes sense that she really zoned in on trying to make friends with Virginia. And it is also interesting to note that Leonardo's friendship with Virginia had improved the soap maker's position in social circles in Carigio, because for a long time, Leonardo had been a cornerstone of the community with her soap shop and palm readings. But as the years had gone by, she'd become increasingly obsessed with locking herself in her study and obsessing over studying the occult. And she'd gotten, let's face it, weird as fuck. And that had made people give her a bit of a side eye. But her friendship with Virginia had done wonders to reverse Leonardo's social status decline, and once again, she found herself invited to dinner parties and dances. It really was as though fate had brought them together for one another's mutual benefit. So when out of the blue one day, Virginia told Leonardo that her savings were running out and that she had planned to leave Correggio, she felt utterly betrayed. She begged her friend to stay, but there were just no opportunities in such a rural town for someone of Virginia's level of education and musical skill. Despite her disappointment, Leonardo agreed to help her friend in her search for a job. In Leonardo's mind, Virginia was a special woman who had clearly been touched by fate and valuable to the universe, who had come from such a high social standing and had such skill and celebrity status as an opera singer who was brought directly into her little soap shop. Poor, poor Virginia. This would be the perfect equation for the law of equivalent exchange. Such a remarkable life as Virginia's would surely be suitable to save the even more remarkable life of Leonardo's miracle son. Up until this point, she'd made the mistake of choosing people who were good, but weren't significant to larger society or herself personally. Virginia, however, mattered to the world. And she mattered to Leonardo as a close friend. In her mind, this would surely make her a meaningful sacrifice. Her death would cause Leonardo's heart significant pain. And that pain would fuel the magic in a way that killing a mere acquaintance could not. She had to let herself feel the grief and pain to fuel the spell. And she knew that killing Virginia would be her most difficult undertaking yet. I feel like I've written in her mind before the start of a sentence so many times to solidify all of this is how in her mind that this is going on. As we're telling the story, we are not being supportive or trying to explain away what Leonardo is doing, but giving you the perspective of what was going on in her mind because it is a dark and twisted place. And... When somebody is trapped in the layers of their own mind, they can really rationalize anything. And that's exactly what's happening. Especially if they are a raging narcissist, which I don't think it takes a expert to... A rocket scientist. Yeah, to know that at this point about her. Where literally every little thing that happens in her world is connected to her directly oh faustina's too skinny oh francesca isn't of high enough class like or that she wasn't doing the right thing while she was trying to carry out the spell oh i didn't swing the axe perfectly yeah i didn't what was the second thing that she was too focused on the method mm-hmm. of the killing and not letting herself the feel it. Yeah, it. the meaning behind it. And 
she also is very there has to be many things going on there that a actual psychiatrist today would have a field day trying to pick apart and i'm sure that her childhood carries oh, so gosh, much yeah I mean, we it kinda... absolutely starts from there yeah like that was the snowball that just kept a rolling yep <laughs> it kept a rolling it into, kept an, a rolling and into an avalanche <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cue the uh, the Grinch soundtrack, where it's like. Dur, 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 dur. That sound snippet is what I pictured. The what's going on inside Leonardo's mind. The I'll snowball effect. You. Thank you, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Since Virginia's situation was not nearly as desperate as the other two women's, Leonardo knew that she would have to be a lot more subtle and calculated to manipulate Virginia all the way into agreeing to skip town without telling her loved ones first. Basically, she hinted at hearing about a job that would be perfect for Virginia's talent and station. But instead of preying on desperation like she had before and being like, Oh, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and you need to act now. She played hard to get with Virginia, making her pry details out of her little by little while also making her promise to keep them secret, which only made the prospect of this job all the more appealing to Virginia. Over several visits to the soap shop, she drew out of Leonardo that she'd found her an opportunity to work as a personal secretary, managing all the household and business affairs of an incredibly wealthy and well-connected financier who invested money in the Italian art scene. In fact, he'd actually heard of Virginia's success as an opera singer and was hopeful that by working for him and being back in the pulse of the art world where he lived in Florence, she'd be able to resume training and performing again. This really was the perfect story to draw Virginia in because not only did it promise her everything she most wanted, apparently financiers were known to be very secretive and private about the affairs of their business. So it didn't raise any red flags for Virginia that she hadn't heard anything herself about this almost too good to be true opportunity. Virginia let herself sleep in on September 30th, 1940, before saying goodbye to her brother and arriving at Leonardo's doorstep right before noon. The, sh- the soap shop was oddly closed and eerily quiet for midday during the week, but no matter. She had a long since given up inquiring about the odd hours her friends seemed to keep. When she opened the door for Virginia... Sam just came in the door. Little cocksucker. Virginia let herself sleep in on September 30th, 1940, before saying goodbye to her brother and arriving at Leonardo's doorstep right before noon. The soap shop was oddly closed and eerily quiet for midday during the week. But no matter, she had long since given up inquiring about the odd hours her friends seemed to keep. When she opened the door for Virginia, Leonardo sucked in her breath at the sight of her friend. (laughs) She had clearly been toning herself down for the months that she had lived in Corrigio, and she was draped in glittering jewels and furs, a picture of sophistication and glamour. Everything 
Leonardo was not. No. <laughs> she was momentarily struck with a sharp pang of regret for what she was about to do. Virginia wasn't just some poor spinster. She was a bright spot that would be lost to the world to extinguish. But just as quickly as she'd felt the regret, it was replaced with a surge of jealousy. Because why not? Yeah. Virginia, with her jewels and fur and status, represented everything that Leonardo so desperately craved for herself and her family. And here it was, close enough for her to touch, but still worlds away. She let this jealousy flow through her and latched onto it to tighten her resolve for what she had to do. When Leonardo brought out the decanter of wine in a glass, Virginia refused it at first, saying she wanted to keep a clear head for traveling. But Leonardo would not let it go, and rather than disappoint her friend, she finally relented, saying, I don't know why you're so intent on me drinking this wine, but if it's important to you, then I shall. What a good, like, nice you, friend. Go shove that wine bottle up your ass. <laughs> Caitlin, you are a true friend. Like before, it didn't take the drugged wine long to have its effect, and she hung onto the edge of consciousness and barely could make out that her friend was stripping her of her fine clothes and jewels and stuffing them into her own trunk, then dragging that trunk out of sight into the back of the soap shop. Leonardo reemerged, clutching the axe, took a deep breath, and let herself feel a wave of sorrow for her friend, and buried the blade deep into Virginia's chest. It caught her in the ribs on contact, and blood surged from the gaping hole in her chest. With great effort, Leonardo yanked the axe back out and swung again, severing the young woman's arm from her body. The drugged and immobilized Virginia screamed in pain and terror as she watched the person who she thought was her best friend literally hack her to death with an axe while she watched. Tears poured from Leonardo's eyes and the smell of Virginia's blood mixed with her perfume made her stomach churn, but she swung the blade again and again until it was finally over. Leonardo, you do not get to cry. You do not get to feel sorrow. Go fuck yourself. You do not get to feel anything unless it was sudden, I need to stop doing this, which she never felt. So with great care, Leonardo drained Virginia's blood into the pans for the stove and set the rich white fat from her body in caustic soda to boil. The moment she dropped the fat into the boiling water, she knew something wasn't right. The same putrid smell that had meant ruin for her previous two attempts was wafting out of the water, and she had to think of something fast. She flung open Virginia's trunk, and her eyes landed on her bottle of signature perfume, the scent that even a small whiff of was so unmistakably Virginia. Without hesitation, Leonardo overturned the entire bottle into the boiling water and sighed with relief as the smell went. From offensive to just like her beloved friend was standing next to her. Oh, that's so creepy because it's like, you know how when you wear a perfume or you your mom or whoever and you're like, oh, that smells like them. It's because the perfume is like mixed with their pheromones. Yeah. And so she really is smelling oh, shut up. it because 
she's boiling her body and all her her own chemical makeup and the perfume reacting with it in the water and so it's this bitch could this have is outdone weird. the homie and saw yeah like she oh, oh. i have never made it through oh, no. half of i made it through half of the first movie before i had to say no people hurting other like i can do gruesome like i can do gore i can do all that stuff yeah like medical sense but somebody harming somebody else it the, just disgusts yeah me. that's really not pleasurable to watch mm, no. and if you do find it pleasurable to watch then it's hard for me to not be like there's Go on something to Google. odd type in psychiatrist near me <laughs> but yet i say that and i like watching boxing i like watching fight club so but i think the intent is not to kill though it's when it's no. like i i, eh, I kind of get what you mean i like the dis call me a basic bitch but i like the display of like that raw male testosterone i find that attractive but i mean i understand that that is on a different plain to me than taking pleasure in instilling horror and pain in someone for the sake of that horror and pain it's a completely Mm -hmm. different psychological you're still a basic bitch but i completely agree thanks (laughs) i just slapped the mic again (laughs) oh she could feel it in her bones the spell was going to work this time even the tea cake she made from the victim's blood Tasted nothing like the sharp metallic tang of Francesca's. These were sweet and smooth, and in Leonardo's mind, this meant that Virginia's spirit would certainly serve as a sweet guardian angel for her beloved son. No, ma'am. Whatever Virginia is, wherever she is, she is not your son's guardian angel, ma'am. Even the belongings she'd left were so valuable that once she had sold them, Leonardo would never have to worry about money again. Thanks to Virginia, everything had been solved in a single day. Once again, in Leonardo's mind. Not in reality, but in her mind, everything had been solved. The soap was everything that Leonardo had prayed it would be from the beginning. Rich, creamy, and floral. And Leonardo's own tears rained down into the mixture as she stirred and poured it into her molds for drying into cakes. She meticulously cleaned every trace of her shop and herself, her heart hammering in her chest with anticipation that finally she would be able to complete the protection ritual. Tonight, she would make her precious Giuseppe eat her tea cakes and bathe with her soap, and he would be protected forever. When Giuseppe arrived home, his mother asked for his help in pulling down the large copper tub she kept up high on a shelf in her kitchen saying in that voice she used when she was dead set on something that he needed to take a bath. Giuseppe rolled his eyes at this order. He was a grown-ass man after all, and fully capable of making his own bathing decisions. But he'd learned over the years that when his mother had that set look in her eye, it was useless to refuse her what she wanted. He reassured himself that he'd only have to put up with her overbearing nature and demands for a couple more weeks, and then he'd finally be off to join his regiment. The war, the war, like the like the front lines and getting blown up is more ideal than being around her. He drugged down the tub and helped her fill it with steaming water. 
then began to undress once his mother stepped out of the room. He felt himself relax a bit watching the steam rise. Maybe a hot bath would be pretty nice after all. Suddenly, Giuseppe startled and his hands flew away from the buttons on his shirt. As Leah and Narda materialized in the doorway, clutching a bar of creamy white soap. He tried shooing her away, but she strode over and stood firmly next to the tub, ordering him to undress and get in. Giuseppe felt his face burn with annoyance and embarrassment. Sometimes his mother's behavior was so bizarre that he honestly didn't know how he'd lasted this long living with her. Same. Yeah. Ugh. His relaxed mood, now completely destroyed, Giuseppe fumbled out of his clothes as quickly as he could and leapt into the water to cover himself. Leonardo did not give a fuck at her son's discomfort. Nope. She'd had to make sure that his body held no sign of injury or illness and that the curse had not infiltrated him before she could complete the protection ritual. And she sighed with relief that her son appeared just as perfect as always. So, violation one. She's just staring at him while he's undressing. And you know she's not saying anything. And he's just probably like, Mom, what the fuck? Giuseppe held out his hand for the bar of soap she clutched. He could certainly wash himself, for fuck's sakes. (laughs) But Leonardo firmly slapped his hand away. Oh my gosh. Dipped the bar of soap in steaming water. And began scrubbing it into the top of his head. Like he's a toddler, like I do to my toddler. She would be an idiot at this point to let Giuseppe take the soap into his own hands. She could leave no possible chance that any single inch of his body would be left uncovered for a flying bullet or insidious disease to find its way in. His protests fell on completely deaf ears as Leonardo rubbed the creamy barbs creepy <laughs> because it makes it more creepy because she was excited of, at how creamy it was so I have to re- <laughs> no that's that's too bad for my ears oh cr- gosh i don't want to hear a creamy in the same sentence with a mother in the context with her naked son I was Grown son. talking about the soap specifically oh, because you want a quality soap to have that nice creamy texture. <laughs> and she wanted That's so gross. And she wanted only the best for Giuseppe. So creamy it was. Creamy soap it is. And she rubbed that creamy bar of soap into every square inch of Giuseppe's skin. <laughs> and yes, we know what you're wondering. Does every square inch mean every square inch? And yes, it does. As much as we want to die imagining Leonardo scrubbing down her grown son's taint. You're welcome. Because that's exactly what she did. It it can't even be comparable (laughs) to how awful it must have been for Giuseppe. I truly can't imagine. I hope that he tapped into that, you know, human skill to disassociate. Oh, yeah. And that he just found his happy place far, far away and just went there. Uh, at least he knew his uh, mom was kind of off off her rocker. So it's not like he was like, 
a normal mom was coming in to wash him. Yeah. He's like, mom, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, oh, you're a little kooky. I get it. Why do you think that he let her actually do that? Do you think that she genuinely had so much of a hold on him? Oh, yeah. That he physically couldn't make himself say no to her, even to the point of her I, sexually assaulting him i think it goes back to a mother and son's love is so deep that it can get to that fucked up point yeah and that distorted yeah. point and yeah. i think he truly did love his mother yeah and because i mean again he's the first child yeah to have lived yeah. past infancy to even make it to being born yep and so like you got to think of just the special treatment he got mm-hmm. and i mean again his mother didn't do anything wrong to him. She showed him love. Yeah. Was it overbearing? Yes. Yeah. But it was love nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And when a kid gets love, they they hold on to it. Yeah. And I mean, and again, he was like, oh, I'm about to be in fucking bunkers. Like, I, I, I'm going to be in a tent for the rest of my yeah. life, mostly. Like, this is the last time I'm probably ever going to spend time like, with I'm going to go down to the pub yeah. and drink like 10 bottles of wine. Yeah. Get fucked. But I do think he did it out of like just tolerated it yeah. because he was like i just got it we weren't talking to you bitch sorry i can't do that you're not listening to my t- what that was annoying anyways <laughs> yeah i agree with everything you're saying i think that she was like at the point where it didn't matter what he said or thought and she didn't care if she pissed him off because in her mind this is the most important thing she's ever going to do for him so even though he was i'm sure furious at the time she was just like i don't care yeah i'm gonna do this i mean and what mom isn't protective of her kid being shipped off to war let alone college like outside of state and she just killed three people with an axe so you know i don't think washing a grown man with a bar of soap is that's kind of a a step back a creamy bar that's a bit kind of a step back actually she was de-escalating But Leonardo did not give a fuck, and a traumatized and massively pissed off Giuseppe sat seething and wrapped in a towel in front of the fire. Leonardo puttered around the kitchen, happily humming to herself, and set a plate in front of him filled with tea cakes. When he refused to eat them because he was so annoyed with her, she literally picked them up and pressed them into his lips until he opened his mouth like a baby bird. So he's just sitting there like, and then she just, yeah. open, open your mouth. Except not, but she's probably be like, oh, mama, my little Giuseppe, come on, just me eat this for mama. He just sat there and internalized it all. Gosh, he's like, fine, I'll eat your fucking tea cake. Just get away from me. In the days that followed, Giuseppe refused to speak, let alone look at Leonardo. So appalled was he by her violation of his manhood and any lingering fondness he'd had for her, despite her many eccentricities or guilt for leaving her, was completely gone. All he cared about was getting away. 
However, Leonardo was on cloud nine. It certainly pained her to have caused a relational strain with her son, but if that's what it took to guarantee his safety and protection forever, which she believed she had, it was a sacrifice she was willing to make. She'd completed what she'd been put on this earth to do, and now all that was left was to quietly dispose of what remained of Virginia and live out the rest of her days quietly in her soap shop, living off of Virginia's jewels and furs. Every day, a handful of visitors would come by the shop for advice, tea, and coffee, like they always did, and over the next few days, she generously offered them extra sweet tea cakes as well hoping that a portion of this spell would be gifted to the folks that ate them, oh, too. Oh, my gosh. How kind. So kind. How sweet. Here's a little goodie bag. You couldn't let anything go to waste then, Caitlin. It was wartime. Little by little, every last trace of the lives she had taken vanished. The soap she saved and gave as gifts when she felt moved to her <laughs> to give them to her most beloved friends. The letters that she'd had Faustina, Francesca, and Virginia all write to their loved ones seemed to have done the trick, and any money she gathered from their belongings she carefully hid away. For the first time in her entire life, Leonardo felt light as a feather, and even Giuseppe, as he counted down the days until he left town, could not help but notice that a heavy burden seemed to have vanished from her shoulders. While Leonardo was enjoying life anxiety-free, Virginia's sister-in-law, Miss Cachopo, was a few miles down the road getting, for lack of better phrase, a little sus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, hmm. Where? Funny, I haven't heard from Virginia in a while. She had been incredibly close with Virginia, and the two had always maintained contact even when apart with letters. So when she went silent altogether after supposedly, supposedly leaving... After supposedly leaving for an exciting new job with a wealthy financer in the city, her hackles went up. She began asking around among the people that Virginia had been known to associate with, looking for any sort of connection or breadcrumb to point her in the direction if the truth behind her beloved sister-in-law's vanishing. And at first, her questions turned up nothing. So she started going instead through each possible person who could have had the means, motive, and opportunity to make someone disappear. She had always scoffed at the other women in town's social obsession with light occult practices like palm reading and fortune telling and Ouija boards. Poppycock, if you asked her. And there was far too much to worry about in the real world than to worry about the one we can't see. She was like I can just totally picture her in my mind as a no-nonsense person being like I'm gonna get to the bottom of this mm -hmm. oh gosh she's a okay, hero Nancy Drew. oh well <laughs> but like if you like if you went missing and everybody was like it's probably fine oh. and I was like no I know like, something Jacob is sketchy straight to Jacob but yeah I Say I mean, good, good on her, her for finally like investigating. Yeah. And she wasn't a member of high society and Virginia was. Mm -hmm. So in one of the books that I was reading about this case, it talked about how it was a big deal for her to actually step outside of her social class and start basically interrogating 
people that knew her and mm-hmm. they probably thought she was super weird or rude for pestering them but she was like i don't give a uh, fuck my sister yeah. is missing and good on her for no, doing do so like yes her sister-in-law however was completely into it and she had tried unsuccessfully many times to get her to join her for a reading so when miss Cachopo showed up at the soap maker of Carigio's door one day full of questions about her dear sister virginia she was unswayed by Leonardo's attempts at charm and to distract her with coffee and a palm reading. Mm, better than wine. Yeah, I guess so. She's just like, don't give me any of that crap. Answer my question, bitch. <laughs> You're going full Sopranos. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Instead, she was all the more convinced of how easy it would be for someone like Leonardo to manipulate and take advantage of a romantic personality like Virginia's. All she managed to get out of the tearful soap maker was that, yes, Virginia had told her about her plans to take the job and that she missed her terribly, but that was all. This only raised Miss Cachapo's suspicions all the more, and all it took was a few questions to Leonardo's neighbors who informed Miss Cachopo that they had seen Virginia entering the soap shop around noon on September 30th, but had not seen her since, before she called the police. A standard police investigation quickly uncovered the disappearance of the other two women, and eventually both were linked to Leonardo's household, thanks to reports from neighbors that all three had visited Leonardo's shop on or around the date they were noted to have disappeared. Leonardo was asked in for questioning, but her decades as a fortune teller had made spinning tales as easy and natural to her as breathing. And she said that, yes, of course she'd seen all three women right before they disappeared, because most women in town sought out her advice before starting long journeys. And the investigation might well have stopped there. But enter the unlikely hero of our story that Leonardo failed to factor in with all of her meticulous scheming and planning, the Italian Postal Service. The letters that were sent to the three women's families explaining their departures were the only physical evidence that police had, and by examining envelopes and calculating delivery times, they were able to track the specific dates that the letters had been sent. And from there, they followed the postmarks to the local police offices and began asking around until they found out who had sent them. A young man named Giuseppe Pansardi. This new information immediately spurred an intense search of the Pansardi residence, which turned up personal belongings of all three missing women stuffed into the back of a closet, the sum of which was worth a small fortune. To police, this was a clear motive for murder on the part of Giuseppe. Everyone knew he was eager to get away from his overbearing and eccentric mother, and had killed and robbed these three women to get enough money for a fresh start. A stunned Giuseppe was dragged into the police station and shook his head to wake himself up from what he was certain was a nightmare. The Italian police were accusing him of murdering three women and demanding to know where their bodies were, and all he could do was frantically insist that he was innocent and had no idea what they were talking about. Hours went by and the police leaned in on poor Giuseppe so hard he began to feel insane and thought maybe he had somehow committed three murders after all. 
when the police station practically shook on its foundation from a frantic pounding at the door and an old woman screaming that her son was innocent and she'd murdered the three women. Almost with amusement, the police agreed to interview her again, finding it touching that this elderly, adorable Italian mother was trying to put her head on the chopping block for her son, so they humored her. In case anyone missed that, this elderly Italian mother is Leonardo. (laughs) As Leonardo plunged into her story describing the murders, the expressions on the faces of the officers went from mild amusement to horror as she described in detail three gruesome killings at a level of specificity that only someone who had been at the very least present for the murders would know. And as she went on to describe the process of literally liquefying her victim's remains in caustic soda and turning them into soap, a chemical process that was very niche and the Italian police had absolutely zero clue how to execute, they weren't so sure anymore that she'd just been an innocent onlooker. When they relayed this account to Giuseppe, he turned dead white and started violently vomiting. It all made sense, and everything came pouring out of him that he'd observed and endured over the last few years. His mother's increasing occult obsession, her studies of spells, the, quote, family curse from his grandmother, and the bizarre bath where his mother had insisted on bathing him herself with a particularly sweet-smelling bar of creamy white soap. Poor Giuseppe. No wonder he started puking. Ugh, this sad. This is so horrible. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough how much of a victim Giuseppe was in all of this because the horror and the trauma of finding this out and then wouldn't you feel somehow responsible? Like even though you knew you weren't but yeah. that it was somehow your fault. Like she did it for you. Yeah. Oh. oh. And to be blamed for it and then your mom's yeah. like, nah. The, the whiplash the of being shady. like, oh my God, I'm being accused of murder. Wait, maybe I did commit these oh, murders. Gosh, oh my God. Imagine? No, it was my mom. Oh shit. Let me in. And not only did she murder Open the them. Door. <laughs> Open the door. Open the door. Not only did she murder them, she really murdered them and then did a lot of gross stuff after. He's probably vomiting. Like, that's why the tea cakes tasted so bad. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, realizing that you ate something with that shit in it. But really, though, he's disgusted in the fact that his mother had him carry out half the crime. Yeah. He dumped the contents. He delivered the mail. Oh, yeah. She made him an unwitting accomplice. Like, oh, my gosh. And he had no clue. Into their septic tank, he had to pour those remains that she was boiling on the stove. Oh, my gosh. It's disgusting. So she literally made him flush a dead bodies down the toilet to put it in. 2023 speak <laughs> she made him yeet yeet <laughs> skirt skirt yeet skirt some dead ass bodies down the toilet well it should be no surprise that leonardo felt no remorse 
or discussed whatsoever for what she had done. Even now, with the guarantee of arrest in prison, all that mattered to her was that she'd successfully protected her precious son from the laws of the universe. Everything she'd done, she believed, came from the purest place of love and had been her duty as a mother's highest calling. The police and the townspeople, however, did not share her same feelings, and the Pansardi family were shunned from the moment Leonardo had made her confession. Tales of what the crazy devil-worshipping soapmaker had done destroyed her soap business forever, nearly overnight. And her now-adult children fled Carigio to put as much distance as possible between themselves and the monster who was their mother. Yeah, I can't blame them there. No. Oh, hell no. I'd be signing up for war. Yeah. The only person who somewhat stood by her was Raphael. Raphael. Ugh. Raphael, who did his best to be a supportive husband in the weeks leading up to her trial, but he could barely bring himself to look or speak with Leonardo in her jail cell. Giuseppe joined up with his regiment and didn't so much as bother to acknowledge her when he left. Peace Again? out, bitch. Yep. Don't Thank- haunt me, Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, there's an ocean between us and her. Thanks to the chaos of the Second World War, it would be six full years before Leonardo's trial would actually begin. And once it started, it would be over in just three days. The time spent in a prison cell did not do anything positive for Leonardo's state of mind, and she genuinely believed that her trial would be her shining moment, where the entire world would realize the necessity of what she had done. It was almost as though she expected to receive praise for being such a patriotic Italian that she went to great lengths to protect one of its soldiers. And as she was placed on the stand and presented with each piece of evidence from her kitchen, including the pots, basins, and axe, and asked to describe the process of the killings and the aftermath, The apparent delight with which she described each gruesome detail to the courtroom shocked and appalled everyone present. Further evidence of her deteriorating mental state was apparent when she began cracking dirty jokes during her testimony and cackling with laughter to a silent courtroom. Or, during the testimony of others, she would constantly interrupt with random facts about her knowledge and experience with the murders. As the trial progressed, she was almost constantly cackling or spitting, and it was as though once she was finally being seen, with all the layers of fantasy and delusion that had wrapped around her mind for so long being stripped away, she began to unravel. When the coroner described how a body could be broken down in caustic soda, furious that someone besides her had the courtroom's full attention, Leonardo actually stood up and yelled, bring a body to court, give me a body of any age right now, and I shall prove it. On day three, she was sentenced to 30 years in prison, followed by a three-year stint in a mental asylum before she would be deemed safe to return to society. Okay, this is something I feel like we should talk about for a minute because it's like she went from zero to completely unhinged. Is it not? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. And the best thing that I can think to explain why this happened in my very limited knowledge and understanding of her mental state is that she was sat in a cell for six fucking years and had nothing to do but to churn over and over and over all of this in her mind. So it was and like... she had no clue if her spell truly did work. No, she didn't because she didn't hear from anyone. Mm. So she's building, building all of this in her mind. And she finally is kind of put on a platform where she can, I guess, in her mind, plead her case or like, finally, people are going to see. Yeah. So imagine how worked up and some of the stuff that we talked about earlier she has this almost like manic energy about her and there is no doubt in my mind that she was super amped up and energetic like with the cackling and the spitting and all of that stuff in the courtroom so well and we don't know how those six years truly went so yeah gosh I can't yeah it's just very it's tragic for the families it's enraging because it, it's disgusting that she clearly was gleeful about it like bitch you were not sorrowful and what you did you enjoyed it you enjoyed the power you feel like it gave you you enjoyed being the hero in your own story yeah uh, 30 years in prison and three that is not and enough what that is not enough I get prison supposed to be about reforming, but I think she, again... There's something snapped. She's running laps around that finish line. She's already passed <laughs> it. Like, collect 200. Like, yeah. she keeps going. There's something snapped in there that ain't snapping back. Oh, that rubber band broke. Yeah. Almost as soon as she entered the doors of Pazuli Prison, Leonarda became a fixture in the prison's kitchen. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh. Baking and cooking large meals during the day, and at night, having long conversations in her cell with women who would come to her for advice. She wrote an autobiography entitled, The Confessions of an Embittered Soul. Oh my god, shut up. Which was certainly sensational, and spoke a great deal about the various sexual conquests she'd made, (laughs) both men and women. Apparently, this book was basically like, if she wrote a fan fiction of herself... As a raging sexual conquester. And according to this book that she wrote, she at one point or other basically slept with every man and or their wives in Correggio. I mean, if I'm going to write a book about myself, I'm going to make myself look good. I guess so. And mixed in was, of course, you know, the, the salvation of her son and like super gruesome details of the murders that she carried out and then there was a lot in there also about her childhood trauma and i have no doubt that that was real and tragic but oh yeah anyways yeah that was the confessions of an embittered soul fuck (laughs) this book also included dozens of recipes including the infamous tea cake recipe shut up yep shut up yes she had descriptions alongside it of how she drained her victims in the book but go on because it gets better 
Unbelievably, this book was one of the most complete collections of traditional Italian bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Italian baking. You must really be getting hungry. I'm not. not. (laughs) Ever written. And it's still referenced by top chefs in Italy to this day. Like, what the fuck? It's a good thing Annalise's not on my travel list. Yeah. Also, I'm incredibly torn because this is like a piece of macabre history that on the one hand I want, but on the other hand feels somehow gross and Dirty. like disrespectful. Okay. Well, you if know? it makes you feel better, as soon as we're done recording this, I was going to... I was going to Google up it that book. and probably buy it. If I could buy it and know that the proceeds went somehow oh, to yeah. like, I don't know, something that was good. We'll look into that too. We'll look into that because I, I do want to hear how she apparently fucked the whole town. I'm kind of curious. 20 years into her sentence, Leonardo suffered what appeared to be a stroke, but was later confirmed to be an ongoing brain bleed that when he reviewed her case notes, the doctor realized was caused by caustic soda vapor poisoning. And did we not talk about all of the times she was boiling caustic soda? Because it, it wasn't just when she committed the murders it was years upon years of her doing that with animal fat so she was just fucking literally burning holes into her brain and that's what caused the bleed she survived her 30-year sentence and miraculously made it to the mental asylum but at that point was pretty much incapacitated and in severely poor health from the long-term effects of the poisoning On October 14th, 1970, the built-up pressure of the bleed on her brain caused her to collapse in the asylum, unconscious, and she would never wake up. With her official cause of death ruled a few hours later as cerebral apoplexy. She was cremated and buried in an unmarked grave. Raphael had tragically died years prior from heart failure due to chronic alcoholism after the trauma of everything he had been through. And Giuseppe is believed to have most likely died on the battlefield. But history doesn't know for sure, because after the horror of his mother's confession, he erased his legal name of Pansardi. So after everything that she had done, Giuseppe not only most likely died, but literally erased himself from history. And I think we mentioned it before, but we don't know what happened to the rest of her children because they just scattered to the four winds and her business went under. Her entire family just completely broke apart. And yeah, so there you have it. That is the conclusion of the three pata of Leonardo Chinchuli, the creamy soap maker. The motherfucking soap maker. (laughs) The soap maker, the apparently raging sexual, I don't even know what the right word is, Fabio. The female Fabio. And not to downplay the utter heinousness Uh and tragedy of 
the lives that she took for no reason other than delusion delusion yes and it really wasn't that long ago when you think about it like doesn't this sound like something that should have happened in the middle ages yeah but she like 16th century but she died in 1970 so not to put an age on my parents or anything my dad had been born by then yep that is really crazy and it also makes you wonder if her breathing in all that shit like there is no way that did not contribute to her cray cray she was part childhood trauma she was part fucked up by her mom when she was past that childhood trauma so adult trauma oh yeah the curse she carried she's fucked up from child loss i mean oh yeah the severe depression and anxiety the earthquake that destroyed their home earthquake world war ii yep all these things it just like she was one fucked up bar of soap (laughs) she really was and it's all the more impressive to me that people go through stuff similar on the level of trauma that she Mm -hmm. did and they don't go down this path but you see how fucking easy it is like you're only one micro decision or micro thing away from completely snapping and thinking you need to make protection spell soap out of somebody's fat stay safe everyone okay (laughs) if you'd like to um Follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Camping is Cancelled. Feel free to share any emails with us, um, case suggestions, or your own personal stories, whether they be creepy, paranormal, yes. true crime, yes. funny. We'd like to hear because mm-hmm. we like to read other people's stories. Yes. Send that to Camping is Cancelled at Gmail. Mm-hmm. And if you would so much like to support us, you can find us on Patreon mm-hmm. at, you guessed it, camping is canceled yes uh yeah i think that's pretty much it we haven't decided what our next case is going to be but you will be getting a new case like mm-hmm. clockwork every wednesday at 9 a.m so we'll do a post letting you guys know what that will be once we decide it's been nice hanging out with you lights out campers bye, bye.